My name is Will, and welcome back to Nature's Wonders. Today, we are joined by Pat Perkizer to discuss the conservation of sharks and other magnificent things about sharks. Pat was a school science teacher, and he also worked at the Henry Dorley Zoo in the aquarium. Right now, Pat is working with Fins Attached and Diventures to work with the marine world from diving to conservation. This podcast is sponsored by Aquachar, Corals Anonymous, and Willow's Reef. Sit back and enjoy. My name is Pat Perkheiser. I am a instructor trainer here at Dive Ventures. I've been with Dive Ventures since actually before the doors even opened. We were working in uh, the owner's garage, putting stuff together, getting it ready for the store when it was going to open. I also am a uh, instructor trainer for the Divers Alert Network, teaching uh, first aid CPR. I have uh, done that about the same length of time. Uh, I have been a diver since back in the 70s. So I've got about 5,000 dives, 5,400 dives. And that's where it's at, seeing what's going on actually in the ocean, the good and the bad. Is, uh, is what drives me to either learn more or to talk to people more about it. In my other life, I was a school teacher, science teacher. I taught zoology, physics, uh, physiology, and genetics. But zoology and marine biology were my passions. I've been, even when I was a youngster, I lived in Puerto Rico, and I saw a lot of cool stuff about the ocean. So ever since then, I've been uh, pretty well attracted to it. And if I can tell someone about it, tell something good, change their opinion on maybe sharks or let them understand the problem with the garbage in the ocean, it's, uh, it, if you see it, it's just pathetic. Mm-hmm. makes you mad. Yeah. So um, what draws you to the marine world and what draws you to sharks in particular? Well, the marine world, this is going to sound corny, but, you know, three quarters of our Earth is water. And because of that water, our Earth can sustain the correct temperatures for us humans to live. You know, if we were like Venus, where it's 900 degrees a day and minus whatever at night, we wouldn't be able to stand that. So... Like I said, when I was back in Puerto Rico, uh, I first saw sharks. There was a place close to where I lived that these guys were doing shark research. I was too young to understand what it was all about, but it was just really uh, interesting, and it it planted a seed in my mind. And once I got out of college, I decided to be a teacher, a science teacher, and it just worked out that I could, uh, you know, teach in zoology. So much of uh, the zoology phylums are partly because of, or in the water, you know, the ocean. So I could always have that all the way up, even mammals, you know, we have whales, dolphins, and things like that. And going on these dive trips that I get to go on, and uh, it's just, this is the bad part. When I see the garbage of a place that's supposed to be, you know, a spectacular resort, you know, for some reason in this lagoon over here, garbage is just accumulated and it's, it's sad. Mm-hmm. So what effect is this garbage having and what effect are people having on 
marine wildlife and sharks? That's a great question. If you've ever heard of bioaccumulation, that's where starting at the bottom level of the food chain, they will eat whatever they eat. And because there's so much plastic in the ocean and it's been there long enough, some of it, it hasn't gone away, but it's broke down all the way into what we call, or what they call nanoparticles. So these little critters and even larger critters will eat a little bit bigger pieces of plastic. So they eat, the first level eats whatever they eat, depending on what we're talking about. Then you go up to the second level, level which is probably going to be you know, smaller fish. Then you go up to another level and it's larger fish eating the things below it. And finally, you get up to the apex predators or the fourth level, you know, tuna, things like that. And everything that's accumulated in those levels before that are going to be absorbed into the, the tuna. And then, of course, you know, humans eat a lot of tuna. And they've done a lot of lab tests, and there are nanoparticles of uh, plastic in some of the fish that's coming to our markets. Uh, the United States really does the best, I think, in the world trying. Not perfect, but it's still better than some of the rest of the world. You know, there's like seven countries that they talk about a lot on the other side of the world that are the main issues in a lot of reasons uh, for what's happening to the ocean. Mm -hmm. All of this plastic pollution isn't just affecting the wildlife. And it's also affecting just humans in general. Who it's eat going all to. This. It's going to. So people probably don't care about the ocean, but at this point, they should be caring about themselves and the stuff that they can get. Well, you've probably heard the saying, not in my backyard, NIMBY. Well, even here in Nebraska, you know, there's students down in Lincoln trying and trying every year to stop the balloon releases. These balloons, they go places. They fly around. You know, once they hit, you know, we could say just the Platte River, they could float and they possibly could make it to the ocean. Out in the Pacific, if you look on the internet about like Midway Island and, and Puree, you'll see pictures. It's pathetic, you know, because they're bird colonies. They're protected by the United States military. So no humans are there, but these birds come in and their stomachs are so full of plastic. They think they're full, but they're getting no nutrition and sit there and die. And then you see the skeleton with the bird and all this plastic, like lighters, pop bottle tops, things like that, depending on how big the bird is, what it eats. But, you know, there's so much good, but there's the other side of it, too. It's uh, distressing. Mm -hmm. And being in Nebraska, I mean, we're landlocked, as much landlocked as we could be. And no one ever thinks about that. But I did see a statistic where we actually have the most waterways, rivers, and streams of like any state. And they all just lead straight to the ocean. We do, you know, with the Missouri River coming in from the north of uh, Nebraska. And then the Platte River from over in Colorado and all coming this way. We've got some great waterways. But they hit the Missouri. And once they hit the Missouri... Boom, it's heading towards the Mississippi and then down. You know, it's like a direct passage. And I could see our plastic flowing down to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And um, what other different types of things are impacting the, like sharks in particular? Oh, another great question. It's something that I would say, you know, probably most Nebraskans don't even know about or 
because they don't know, they don't care. But shark finning is terrible. It's, it's ruining our ocean. Whether people like it or not, sharks are necessary for our ocean. They keep our ocean healthy. And, you know, it's sad if you're one of the old or sick fish because that's what sharks are going to take out. You know, luckily for humans, we don't do that. Or I'd probably be gone a long time ago. But, you know, with sharks, they have to eat and they'll go after the sick, the old and slow, you know, just things like that. And as of now, they say 90% of some of the main apex sharks are gone, you know, because that BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, I read somewhere that the oceanic white tip shark is extinct in the Gulf of Mexico as of that, that point. They may come back, you know, they may come from the Caribbean over that way and rebuild, but it just takes time. And, you know, sometimes we don't have time. These sharks, the major sharks, the apex sharks, it could take them 15 to 20 years to reach maturity to be able to breed. And then if they only have maybe two pups or maybe four pups, five pups, you know, that's that's not a lot because the odds are a couple of them won't make it. Something bigger than them will possibly take them out. But it's a hard deal. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, you talked about how about, would you say, 90% of the apex sharks are going to be gone? Are gone. Are gone. You know, I to keep it 100% true, I say 75% up to 90% are done, gone. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the apex, you know, by that I'm talking great whites, oceanic white tips, maybe uh, blue sharks out in the Pacific, you know. That other side of the world is going out, and they'll put out what's called a long line. This long line, it's a really strong fishing line. It could be 10 miles long and like every 20 feet, there's gonna be a hook with a piece of bait just hanging there. They put it out, there's an antenna on the end of it that uh, so they can find it again. And they come back, I don't know, two, three days later, pull in whatever they get. Not only sharks are a problem, you can imagine what they catch, anything, anything looking for a meal could be on those hooks, which means turtles, dolphins, sea lions, small whales, you know, anything could be on there. Mm -hmm. And it's sad to see them pull these things up and, you know, even if they're alive, you know, they don't even care about throwing them back in. They just let them be over in the pile and, you know, they perish. Again, you know, that's not one of the pretty sights on the ocean. Mm -hmm. And what are some solutions that people are figuring out about these uh, long line, or are there any? Well, the governments need to enforce and monitor these fishing fleets. And with this pandemic, some of the fishing fleets over on the other side of the world aren't able to go out. And, you know, they've got pictures, I mean, satellite pictures showing all these huge fishing boats just sitting there waiting for the day they go back out and start going again. They have to monitor them right now down around the Galapagos Islands, which is a major habitat. It's a World Heritage Site, one of the best places in the world for ocean biodiversity. Right outside that limit of the Galapagos Protected Park, you've got all these fishing boats just sitting there waiting for anything to come out of the park. And, you know, they're, 
the rangers are monitoring it and they are right out of the park if the animal comes out you know, it's kind of like the wolves in yellowstone they're safe until they step outside the park and then they're everybody's after them. i met uh peter Bidgley a while ago before he died but you know he, he wrote jaws and he made a ton of money but after that had happened, you know, a lot of humans thought the only good sharks are dead sharks. And he was trying to educate and do everything he could. His wife still does, you know, to try to educate people that sharks are not just man eaters. Mm -hmm. I've been face to face with a great white shark. And this is during the day. And he just veered off. During the day, I'm just guessing now, obviously everything worked, but... First time I saw one, it was coming from the bottom right, coming up past me to the top left diagonally. And oh my gosh, it was moving so smoothly and it wasn't even any effort. And I thought, you know, if they were really as bad as people think they were, I would I would stand a chance. You know, these things, but they're not. They went right by. Uh, they know what they want to eat. Humans generally, you know, whenever there's a, an incident that happens, they bite a human. They taste a human is what it is. But, you know, we don't have the fat on us like what they want. Sea lions and whales, uh, walruses, whatever. You know, there's a lot of fat there. And that's a lot of energy for them. So usually when they bite a human, uh, that doesn't taste right. There's no fat there. They just leave the human. And depending on how lucky you are with the uh, taste, if, it, uh, if you bleed out or they can save you. You know, that's exactly how that goes. Mm -hmm. It would be an extremely rare thing for the shark to come back and try to eat you. Unless it was like, you know, it itself was starving to death and couldn't catch anything. But it would have to be really desperate. But I, I haven't heard of that. Mm -hmm. So I did see a statistic that was like, what, 10 people die every year from sharks, but then humans will kill up to... 10 million plus sharks oh more than that. that that's a great point you worldwide they, they keep track you know shark board there's one in south africa and i think there's one in the united states i can't remember the exact name of them but yeah they keep track of fatalities or just incidents when someone gets bit generally and this has been this is just going to be an average but maybe worldwide about 100 people get bit I'm sure it's more than that because it's some of the third world countries way out there that, you know, don't even have communications. It could happen, but they know how to live with the animals. So, you know, generally it's not that big a deal. It's like, you know, the Africans, uh, Watusi live with the lions and not a problem. You know, they know how to survive. But anyway, about a hundred people a year do get bit by a shark out of that. Probably six to 12, depending on the year, might perish. And that's only because, like, if the shark were to bite you in the abdomen compared to the foot, way big difference in, you know, loss of blood, size of the shark, you know, things like that. Like, every year you can count on it when the little black tips go migrating and breeding up the Florida coast, people are going to get bit. And they make a big deal out of it. I, I've seen one of the major news companies, oh, mega shark bites lady in the leg. And then they show the shark in a little black tip thing about maybe three feet long. It's crazy. You know, they know that they're going to be migrating through. 
stay out of the water. They're kind of fired up because it's breeding season. So yeah, four, six, 10, maybe 12 people a year could die. But that's not bad considering what we do to them. They have said, you know, since I've been keeping tabs, 60 million to, I've even seen some estimate 200 million. That's a, that's a lot. It's hard to tell because we can't count well how many fish you got here. And those people on the other side of the world, all they do is take the shark, cut the fins off, dump the shark back off, probably alive, but with no fins, it's just going to fall to the bottom and drown. It's so brutal. But, um, you know, we can't really count them and we cannot trust them. So I would say, you know, 100 million sharks a year would be a pretty safe estimate. So you said that they just cut the fins off and just toss them back in the ocean. Why do they do this and what's this for? On the other side of the world, I don't want to say any countries to be that way, but there's this delicacy. For some reason, they think shark fin soup is magical. It makes men men and whatever. It's total BS because the nutrition inside a fin is only cartilage. There's no nutrition there at all. So you get cartilage. If you ever look at a can of shark fin soup, it'll have chicken broth, mushrooms, crab meat, things added in there to give it taste because just chewing on soft cartilage is not going to do anything. It's not going to be anything for you. But, you know, they say shark fins, just the fins, are worth more than drugs are. You know, you got a pound of drugs or a pound of shark fins, the pound of shark fins is supposed to be, you know, more valuable. But it's it's just customs over there. And look on the internet for fishing fleets from the far east, you know, and then look up shark finning videos, things like that. There's a great one with, uh, I think it's World Wildlife Fund with that basketball player of... Uh, He's Chinese and pretty tall, Mao or... Uh, I don't know. Isn't he like the tallest of yeah. basketball? He was really... But he's from China. And the big thing is, so he's made Yao Ming, something like that. I think, yeah, that's it. But he, uh, he's made videos against this. And, you know, thank goodness they're on the internet. People should look at this. When I was teaching, we tried to put a bill together to outlaw any shark fin products in Nebraska. And we, we got all the way down to, you know, the committee down there. But there are two places, maybe three places here in Omaha that sell it in different forms, you know, either shark fin soup or some of these dog treat places, the dog treats you're buying are actually shark cartilage, which is why it's, you know, it, use a pig ear or something like that, unfortunately for pigs, but pigs are going to die and be used in a useful way. They're just killing sharks for those fins. And uh, you'll see videos. They pull them up on the long line, cut the major fins off, throw the animal back in. No, and it's still alive. Mm -hmm. So in a few of those points you made, you explained the physiology of, well, first the shark will drown, which can be surprising to some people. And um, you explained that the fin is just made out of cartilage. Yep. And I guess a lot of people yep. would think it'd be bone. So could you explain those two points? Uh, another good point. Sharks are, have no bones. They are cartilaginous fish, 
which means there are cartilage. And hopefully your listeners will look it up and see. You know, the hardest part of a shark are its teeth. The enamel on its teeth are real hard. You know, when they can, some sharks can create about a 200 metric or two metric tons per square inch of pressure. It's a lot. Um, so it's all cartilage, no bone. That's what make that's what difference them. They, you know, not having any cartilage, that makes them a little lighter. So, but they still don't have a swim bladder either. So that's why they have to keep swimming. You know, you probably heard that sharks have to swim constantly. So air is passing over their gills or not air, water. So they can get the oxygen out of the water. There are some sharks that can lay on the bottom. Like, you know, go down to the zoo, you'll see the zebra sharks and nurse sharks, you know, like that. But you also notice that their gills can move. Their mouth opens, it sucks in water, shuts its mouth and it pushes it out there. But then if you look at the, uh, the reef sharks down there, you'll see they have to keep moving. Their gills are hard and it's called ram ventilation. Instead of mouth ventilation, they, water goes in the mouth, you know, right through the gills and they get the O2. So that's why without the fins, Shark doesn't stand a chance. And you will see videos on that. It's, uh, I keep referring to videos, you know, we're sitting here talking. I hope I'm giving ideas for people to maybe follow up on and learn from, you know, you're in the United States, you're in the middle of the United States, but most likely you're going to go on a vacation. You might go to an ocean, you might take a cruise. Cruise liners are supposed to be being honest now, not dumping their garbage. But a while ago, a lot of garbage came from cruise liners. So if they do it now, there's pretty big fines. So hopefully we've stopped that. Uh, the shark finning, you know, all we can do there, we're trying to educate people. You know, like, I don't know, you may have thought about this being a scuba diver and, you know, preparing for our talk, but... Most people aren't thinking, you know, like those balloons, they could end up, uh, a seabird might eat it, you know, a gull or something. And I got a feeling a lot of people have seen the videos or heard about turtles and plastic bags. You know, in the water, those plastic bags, they look like a jellyfish. And that's why turtles eat. So there have been a lot of studies and, you know, they find dead turtles. They found a whale with over 80 garbage bags in its belly that had died because of plastic, overdosing on plastic. Uh, they found a lot of whales with a lot of plastic and things in there. It's a tough deal. So how could people like help or solve this big problem? <clears throat> Please recycle. I know that now that the other side of the world quit buying a lot of our garbage, that makes it tougher here because, you know, the garbage companies need to charge us so they can break even. But at least recycle the metals. I remember from college, one pop can, the metal, the aluminum there, it takes about, you know, this was the estimate, it takes 20 times more in money to get the aluminum out of the ground and 
go through the processes to make it a tin can compared to a tin can that's already, you know, pop can, recycle that would be $1. So it's a 20 to one difference there. And you can imagine all metals are like that, you know, iron, all metals, copper, some copper, things like that are very valuable. So, so that's a start, yeah. you know, please recycle and uh, don't those plastic bags. If you have to use them when you're done with them, tie them in knots. I mean, tie them in knots so that it's not so easily blown around. Things like that. Straws. I guess what I'm saying is these one use items like plastic forks, plastic spoons, straws, you know, try to cut back on those. I, I know we're not going to. It, uh, we're just, since back when the uh, Industrial Revolution started, we started making things easier for humans, you know. But as far as, if we would stop throwing garbage, you know, pick up some garbage if you see out your car and there's a tin can there. I'll pick it up and I'll recycle it. Uh, if a plastic bag, if I can get it without looking like a crazy man chasing it, you know, uh, I'll try to pick it up and discard it. Mm -hmm. So in the coral industry, I know that there have been a ridiculous amount of um, regulations, which is a good thing, but uh, they like measure each and every coral. So do you think that this could be an option for sharking and <clears throat> other bad things that we're doing? Well, it depends on the country. United States, like I say, we try. You know, when I'm getting off to another one, but our boats go out for tuna fishing. One, they may, you know, randomly observers go out with them. Second, they built this device called a turtle extrication device that if a turtle gets, or a dolphin or something big gets in there, when they're pulling the net in, it gets pushed out this opening. But after that, it shuts back up and the little fish aren't gonna make any difference, the tuna or whatever. Um, another thing that's probably off topic of what you just asked, but probably the worst thing physically for the ocean are these trawlers that go out. Think of, you know, a cruise liner, and that'd be small for some of the trawlers. They're so big, they drop nets down, and behind them they've got this adaption that puts down, it's like a rake, but, you know, it's this mammoth. And they drag it along, drag it along. Everything gets pulled up, coral, fish. They're going for shrimp usually. So with, with these trawlers, super trawlers, they, it's about 90% bycatch and only 10% shrimp. So that's one thing. I, I would never eat a shrimp again in my life, just knowing that. And uh, there's videos. You can look at them to, uh, so you can understand it. But as far as measuring, they, it depends on the country. We have had in the world, some countries like in Costa Rica or wherever, you have to keep the fin with the shark. Well, what they started doing was they'd get smaller sharks and tie these big fins on it to make it, you know, it, it covered the rule. The fins were with a shark. But it's not the real shark. And it'll be like taking, you know, big tiger shark fins and putting them on a small black tip shark. Not good. But that, that isn't enforced. There's a lot of, you know, 
money under the table that will cause people, you know, they're crooked. You are in the diving industry and conservation and all that. Um, what are some dives that are your favorite? And you know, everybody that's a dives. diver, you know, we're not specifically a conservationist, mm -hmm. although, although we are. I mean, if I see trash anywhere, if I can pick it up and take it with me, I will. I'll stick it in my pocket. Uh, you know, I find garbage sacks once in a while. Oh, I hate to see that. But if I grab it up, I know it's not going to be there anymore. Every diver should look for that. But again, we're only looking at the really good places to dive, like, you know, in Cozumel, the main reef. You rarely see garbage there. But if you go to the other side of the island or the southeast tip, where the water comes around, everything gets dumped there. It's a, it's a bad thing. Um, but all most people like warm water diving, you know, Caribbean, stuff like that. That's great for us over here. On the other side of the world, they have, you know, like um, Australia, obviously, the Great Barrier Reef. Then they have, you know, places like uh, around the Philippines, uh, all those. Indo-Pacific islands, super. And uh, the humans haven't really ruined them yet, but you, you do find trash there. They have found trash at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, which is 37,000 feet deep. That's the deepest point that we know of in the ocean. They have found trash there. Sad. Mm -hmm. Do you like the shark diving the best or what do you do the most? It's really hard, you know, the old funny thing, you know, <clears throat> what's your next, what's your favorite trip and, you know, or favorite place you've been? I go, well, probably the next place I go. They're all good, but sharks are amazing. And of course you gotta be careful with sharks. You don't just um, jump in. A lot of sharks aren't going to bother you. During the day, they say, you know, um, if you see a shark, look at it straight eye to eye. Yeah, like, you know, the Caribbean, I tell people when I teach them scuba, you're lucky if you find it, if you see a shark. You know, the warmer waters aren't really the big ones, except maybe the hammerheads or the tigers. And, you know, just give them space. Do not mess with them, you know. They, uh, they're hair triggered. I mean, they, they could be set off probably really easy, so... Just watch it swim by, get your group together, watch them. Look at it eye to eye. Um, now, dawn and dusk, that could be a different thing because that's when they feed generally. And that's when, you know, all the fish are they're switching from day fish to night fish, but they're all kind of out there and, you know, the sharks know they can, uh, and they've got the extra senses on their body that other fish don't have. You know, they got the Ampule de Lorenzini. And at night, when you can't see anything, that electrical sensors they have, it gives them a great advantage. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about the electric sensors that they have? Okay, most people know, you've probably been fishing here in Nebraska, and you see every time you catch a bluegill, there's a line that goes down the side. That's a lateral line. It is a sense for the fish to know what's going on around it. You know, even if it can't see it, water is so dense, it's 800 times denser than um, the atmosphere. But 
if water moves here, it's going to make water move over there, you know. So the fish knows something's going on. Might want to make sure it's not a big fish or walleye or something coming at it. Well, added to that on sharks, they have these little gel-filled capsules around their snout area. And those capsules have a nerve on it. It goes to the brain and it can detect the slightest bit of electricity. Like if a stingray has got itself underneath the sand, the shark goes over it, it can detect that. And unfortunate for a stingray, if it's a hammerhead or something, they're going to introduce themselves. But it's a very, very sensitive sense. It gives them quite the advantage. I've always told my students that, you know, if sharks were smarter, we would be in trouble. They've got everything going for them, but they don't have the brain to figure things out. And, or maybe they do. Maybe they figured out we aren't worth it. I was uh, reading a couple weeks ago, and this is, I think it's insane to actually think this, but in the old, and I mean ancient days, you know, millions and millions of years ago, there's something called the Megalodon. Supposed to be, you know, the first shark, 60 feet long. The mouth could be six feet wide by six feet tall. And some people are still, you know, they're spreading rumors that there's still megalodons around. Well, there aren't. If there were, we would see ships disappearing. We would see, you know, whales would disappear. A whale would be bitten in half. And that doesn't happen. So although the megalodon was probably the most amazing animal ever, it's no longer with us. And once you become a diver, though, you can go to several places around the world where these megalodon teeth, it must have been the burial grounds for where they'd go to die. But man, people are finding some really nice megalodon teeth. But I just want to throw that in because it does have to do with sharks and that, you know, respect coral. When you go on trips, don't buy seashells because if you buy a seashell, they're going to have to replace that one with another one out of the ocean. Don't buy coral because that coral is, a, is like an apartment complex for small polyps, animals. They keep building on each other. You know, you have to resist these nice, pretty trinkets because those trinkets were an animal or a home for an animal. Just, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it a lot, and maybe you'll be on the show again sometime. Hey, I'd be happy to. There's a lot more than just sharks in the ocean. You know, there's a lot of problems with whales, dolphins, the coral, like you said, overfishing, plastic, uh, but it's up to the humans to fix it. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening all the way through. And I want to give a special thanks to Pat for coming on the show today and talking about all the great things that he does. It was a really inspirational episode and it really makes you think. The next episode that I will be doing is about microgreens, so stay tuned for that. Thank you.